Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, August 12th. Today we are reading from the big book. We are at page 62, first full paragraph, starting with selfishness and self-centeredness. Today's readers are Sylvia, Julie R., Judy B., and Rebecca. The reference number for Sunday, August 11th, is 4937, and that's 4937. The OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois to read the 12 steps, please. Lois, can you press star one, two, unmute your phone, please? I was talking away there. Uh, this is Lois, uh, recovered in, in Massachusetts. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Lois. 
I will now ask Julia B. to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, spiritual family. This is Julia from California, and I'm the compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is one but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Julia. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We're on page 62, first full paragraph on the page, and I will ask Sylvia to begin reading, please. Good morning, Christy. This is Sylvia, Recovered Compulsive Eater and uh, Upstate New York. On page 62, Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us, seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some point, sometime in the past, we have made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. And... Uh, I'd like to share on that. Of course, what a paragraph. Um, in, my, in my book, the binding is actually kind of broken. 
to that page because I have gone back to it so many times for myself and for people that I sponsor. Selfish and self-centeredness that we think is the root. It's the root. It is, it is below the foundation of, of our troubles. And um, when it says driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity, I didn't understand that everything that I was doing was based on fear and self-seeking, pretty much. Self-delusion always, but certainly fear and self-seeking. And if you looked at me from the outside, it would have looked like I was like this honorable person and this great mother and this great wife and, and you know, this professional. But when you look back at what was the root, what was making me do what I was doing, and it was a lot of insanity and a, a tons of manipulation. It was almost, well, I think it was probably always a uh, hundred forms of fear and self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, because if something happened to me, that should be more important to you uh, than it was, because I am the center of everyone's universe. And um, and it says, at the end, we invariably find that sometime in the past we've made decisions based on self, which later places us in a position to be heard. And for me, it wasn't until I did my fourth step and my fifth step that I could actually start to understand this because, you know, I, when I read this the first time, I'm sure that what I thought was, you know, no, I, I do these things for my children. Well, why did I want my children to get into the best universities? For them? Yeah, a little bit. For me? Sure. I wanted other people to think how smart my children were and what a great mother I was. I mean, I could look at that in a hundred forms. And how did they look? How did my husband look? How much money did we have? Um, uh, I, yeah, I wanted people to look at me and think, oh, isn't that great? Self-centeredness. Um, it, it, it was throughout the whole weave of my life. When I did my fourth step and, and my sponsor could listen to it in the fifth step, that's when I could finally understand that this was the root of, our, of my trouble. And it was driving me into insane behavior. And then what would happen is I would feel ashamed, embarrassed, uh, out of control, and I would go for ease and comfort for food. Vicious cycle, vicious cycle, and one that I do not practice today, thank God. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Sylvia. Would anyone else like to share on this particular paragraph? Katie G. from Boston. This is Paul. Um, okay, I heard. Was that Katie F? Katie G. I heard Katie G. Judy F. Oh, Judy. I think it was Judy. I heard. Okay, so Judy, Katie, and Katie G. And Paula. We'll go in that order. Go ahead, Judy. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Judy F. Recover compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Oh boy, this this paragraph just uh, hit me between the eyes, and and I too um, related to Sylvia because when I first read this with my sponsor, um, I I could I could you know agree with um, some of the things, but I still thought I was uh, thinking of others, helping others uh, because I'd been absent for quite a while and working with. The, um, the tools and and helping others and sponsoring. However, 
I, too, um, in doing the four step as it's laid out in the big book, and they refer to it here, they say selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And what was so effective about the way it's laid out in the big book, it gets to the root. It gets to um, our selfishness, our fear, um, and through looking at our resentments, looking at our fears, and looking at our sexual conduct. And when it says, driven by a hundred forms of fear, when I was asked to write out my fears based on what I wrote in my resentment, resentment, there were over a hundred fears that I wrote out. And um, the self-seeking, self-delusion, self-pity, that was all my behavior. I had been dishonest, which you got to is first question in the four steps, where were we selfish, then dishonest, self-seeking, and that was the behavior, my self-delusion, my self-pity, what my judgment at others, thinking that people should be different, thinking I was right, thinking I could read other people's minds. I mean, those were all the dishonesties. And really the big part was I had, I really did think I had been hurt by people and maybe they did have a part in it, but I started the ball rolling. And it talks about that too in the book, how we started the ball rolling. And so I finally saw the truth about what was blocking me from the sunlight of the spirit. And I could agree to a certain point when I was at this part, but I had to keep going in the steps to really see the root cause of my my blocks from a higher power. I may have believed in a higher power at this point, but going through these steps, four through nine, the action steps, I then was able to have a relationship, a real spiritual awakening. And and this tells it right here, right ahead of time, what our problem is. But until I experienced the steps, I couldn't get there. And thanks, and I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Katie G, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. This is Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater from Boston, Mass. And grateful to be here on the line this morning. Um, yeah, this is an amazing, amazing chapter. Um, and me too, I echo the previous speakers. I love this idea driven by a hundred forms of fear, right? So I'm operated, moved, and controlled by. And if you don't relate to that, it's that feeling you get in your gut when you're like so possessed with an idea that you have to take an action and nothing can stop you. And if you don't take that action and people don't respond in the way you want them to respond, it's going to be ugly, right? You know, like I saw um, my selfishness throughout my fourth step. I want you to act in a certain way so I feel better about myself without regard to your wants, needs, or capabilities. My selfishness is I want your life to be worse than mine so I feel better about myself. You know, my selfishness, I want you to put my needs before before my own. Like I didn't know that the way I was acting was provoking other people, that when I was going into work and speaking in this manner to this woman, that that was provoking her, that that wasn't developing loyalty to her, that I was condescending, that I was rude, that I was, you know, unmindful that, you know, she might have a job, she might have wants and needs and desires, but it was the Katie show. And um, I, too, when I wrote out my fears, like, I was devastated. I was devastated because I saw over a 100 fears 
of just undermining myself over and over and over again and saying, I can't do that. I'm too stupid to go to grad school. I'm too stupid to do math. I'm too stupid to have a relationship. So I'm going to settle for this. I'm going to settle for that. I'm going to settle for this. And I would make all these decisions based on my fear, based on my self-centered fear, like, well, I don't want to fail. I don't want people to look at me badly. I don't want people's, you know, opinions to change about me, you know, like all this selfishness, you know. And today, thank God, like I know the minute that I'm getting that like rev, right, that like feeling of, oh, my God, I have to take this action, usually what I have to do is run in the other direction, you know, because my brain, my mind cannot heal me. You know, like they're saying we invariably find that sometime in the past we made decisions based on self. Invariably means almost always, guys, for this, for this compulsive overeater, it is always. You know, and I'm just so grateful to understand now that that is the root of my trouble. But like, let me tell you, thank God for 10. You know, yesterday I found myself resentful of a character in a book. Because I wanted her life to be worse than mine, so I felt better about myself. And if you're laughing, that's good. Because I was laughing too. You know, like, I'm so selfish that I want characters in books to feel bad about themselves. You know, but, like, I'm not responsible for how, what I think. I am responsible for how, I, how long I think it. And this chapter is showing me the way out of self. And that is the only way that I can have a relationship with God. And it is the only thing that will prevent me from eating, which is always a step up from my self-centered thinking. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Paula, go ahead. This is Paula. Go ahead, Paula. Oh, thank you. I was unmuting in the process. This is Paula, Recovered Compulsive Arita. Oh, so much here and so much that's already been shared. But I'll come to that line. No, I won't. I'm going to add another one here. That we think, oh, there it is, that thinking is the root of our troubles. Driven by a hundred forms, this is what drives you. You get in the car, honey, you're not in the driver's seat anymore. You're a passenger. And where are you going? A hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. And then we step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. What could they do? Of course they're going to retaliate it, but we didn't see that because I couldn't see clearly. But I want to go to here. We invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self which later placed us in a position to be hurt. I cannot change the past, but let me tell you, I can learn from the past. Once I saw, we see on 124, what did Henry Ford say? Once made a wise remark to the effect that experience is a thing of supreme value in life. That is true only if one is willing to turn the past to good account. Can this be done? Can we finally stop stepping on toes? If we're not living in fear and self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity, yes, we can. And it says here clearly, we grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors. And look at this word, transformation. No. Similar. Or the same. Convert them into assets. The alcoholic's past thus becomes the principal asset of the family. And frequently, it is almost 
always, it is almost the only one. How does that happen? How does that happen? And we see clearly it is with God. We know that. But this part here, but you can't change what you don't see. And this is what I had to see clearly. I placed myself with my decisions in a position to be hurt. Thank you for allowing me to share on that. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Sally, Sally, and then Kim from South Jersey. Go ahead, Sally. Thank you. Sally from South Jersey, recovered, compulsive reader. I want to just share on this starting here, selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think, and I'm just going to stop right there, that we think. I, I also wanted to um, point out this word think sitting there in the middle of that sentence. Someone called me yesterday, um, and um, she shared something very precious with me. She said that someone had shared it with her yesterday, and she wanted to share it with me. A friend had said that she had 15 years of abstinence. That the first five years of abstinence, she found her brain. The second five years, she learned to use her brain. And the third five years, she learned that she didn't need her brain. And I heard that, and what I heard from myself was how excited I had been in this last nine, nine, well, 14 months of not only abstinence, but of going through this process and how initially I became so mentally alert, and clear. Can you not hear me? Nope, I can hear you just fine, Sally. Okay. So in, the, you know, in these early months of uh, becoming abstinent and going through the nine the, uh, at least through the ninth step, I'm still working on step 12 with my sponsor. I probably always will. But um, in the beginning in this last year, it really seems as if I found my brain and that I could actually use my brain. I wasn't befogged, as the book says. Um, but then that second five years, and I, in my mind, I've spent another five years um, learning to use my brain. And actually, only recently, I have learned that I don't need my brain. And that, when I look at these words, selfishness, self-centered, and these, this word self in the middle of the page, it says self will run riot. Self, 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 self. Always my focus is self. And that's my thinking, is me. To-do lists, um, what am I going to do today? How am I going to drive this day today? How will I control the circumstances of my life today? What will I do with my flaws today? It's all about, it's always been about me. And when I read this, this paragraph, it's really the beginning of my honesty of surrender, my willingness to say, okay, I don't really need my brain. I don't really need to think so hard. We know that our best thinking got us here. So what are we doing if we're still thinking so hard about our lives? as opposed to really surrendering and as opposed to really laying it down. And it's not an easy thing because this really, for years I thought and I still believe that I have a control issue, that, that I'm so insecure that, I, that I, it just, it's hard for me to surrender it to my higher power. And that's the beauty of this beautiful program and the spiritual solution is my honing and my coming to a deeper and deeper level of the onion layer within my brain that I can't do it 
he can, I think I will let him do it. And that's the surrender process that I'm living today and working working to do. That's the hard work I have to do today. The hard work is for me to take it in my hands, lay it down, my life, my to-do list, my best thinking, and to walk away with my hands empty and open, palms up, and willing to see what my higher power is going to do. That's what it means today for me to, to look at the sentence selfishness, self-centeredness, my eyes focused down at me as opposed to we think no more. That's what I have to do today. Stop thinking so much because that is the root of my trouble and turn instead and just surrender. Turn my hands up, out, and in a surrendered position. Thank you for letting me share. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Driven! You know, I think about being controlled. Because isn't that what controlled my life? That controlled every decision I made. How's it going to affect me? If I'm not looking out for me, who's going to look out for me? You know, and one of the disservices, I think, that the general public does, is we, if we go to a, a bookstore, if there's any left at this point, and we want to find this big book, where are we going to go? We're going to go to the self-help section. Because that's what they think is. AA is a self-help program. Some of us are told in, a, in LA it's a self-help program. And we're being told here that self is the root of our trouble. You know, I so often hear, well, I have to have self-care. I need to take care of myself. We're being told by the big book that that's exactly our problem. We are so self-absorbed. We can't see outside of ourselves. We're driven, driven by that. So we might hear other things in the fellowship that contradict the big book. So I think what I owe you is what does the big book say? You know, I remember being told on the fourth step, you better put yourself first on that because you've hurt yourself so bad. The book never tells you to put yourself on there. I was told on the ninth step you have to put yourself at the top because you're the person you've hurt the most. The big book never tells you that. The big book is telling you the problem itself, a hundred forms of self. And unfortunately, I think I know for myself, for myself too, we, in, in today's society, we have so many fancy words for that. You know, my inner child, I'm passive-aggressive, I have abandonment issues, it's my dysfunctional family. And that's just fancy words for the fact that I was driven, driven by a hundred forms of self. And when we get to this third-step prayer, you can see the third step is culminated in that prayer. But this is, this is the essence of the third step, is understanding that selfishness and self-centeredness is the root of our trouble. I, for years, said step three, and said every morning I do step three and I turn over my food and I can't be abstinent. Step three has nothing to do with the food. What does step three say? It says, you know, um, relieve me of the bondage of self. Not relieve me from the bondage of food. The food is down. Relieve me of the bondage of self. So these pages are teaching us, what does that mean? What do we need to be relieved of? I need to be relieved of that bondage of self because I'm driven by it. Every single decision I can't see. I am like a horse 
running a carriage with blinders on. The rest of the world is outside those blinders, and all I can see is me, 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 me. So that's why others hurt us seemingly without provocation, but I can't look at something from another person's perspective because it's all about me. And until we recognize that, we're not going to move forward. So this decision needs to be an educated decision and quite an education that the big book gives us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Well, this is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, <laughs> the sentence that jumps out at me is the second sentence that we think is the root of our troubles. It doesn't say alcohol and alcoholism. Uh, or food and compulsive overeating in my case, it says that, selfishness and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, what's interesting to me is that that's what this program is about. You know, we've been talking about this, you know, for the first 61 pages plus all of the Roman numeral pages. You know, what is the root of my problem? What is the root of my problem? The root of my problem truly is that I have an allergy. I have an allergy, and that's the physical component. I have an allergy of the body, which is an, an, an abnormal reaction to food in my case. I have an abnormal reaction to food. But the greater aspect of my disease is my mind. The greater aspect of, this, of my disease is my mind. That's my problem. In fact, it's going to tell me exactly. It's spelling out right here what the root of my problem truly is. And as much as I want everything to be about me, what I learned in this simple paragraph is that it is all about me, not the way I wanted it to be about me. You know, I, you know even today, 11 years, 11 months, and three days after I've experienced back-to-back -back abstinence and the miracles of recovery and the transformation that takes place as the result of working the steps, and having my nose in the big book for those years is that those kinds of things can still crop up. Selfishness still crops up, which is why I am, you know, looking at that, you know, with laser focus. Where was I selfish? And selfish to me today plays out in me thinking, you know, even if it's for the betterment of the world, according to me, myself and I, that I can still be selfish and think that, you know, I want to avoid pain at all costs and I want every, you know, everyone else to not have to experience pain at all costs. You know, whether that's, um, you know, my stepson or my parents or my friends, however that plays out. You know, I think that I want, you know, I'd really like other people to not have to experience any kind of pain and suffering. That sounds admirable, doesn't it? And the truth is, I have no idea what someone else's path might be. You know, I have no idea. I have no idea how things are supposed to work out. It's not up to me. I'm not the, the end-all and be-all, not only for myself, but for anyone else. And so, you know, even today, I, um, I get to look at this and recognize that, you know, anything, you know, my self, you know, Self-seeking, you know, what do other people think about me? Self-delusion, you know, any kind of, any way that I can think that um, things that are, are looking a certain way or make up stories about what people might be thinking about me. Um, 
certainly me trying to get whatever it is I want because I think I know best for, you know, even myself. Um, instead of just completely surrendering. I, um, I just, I love this. I love this because I never thought that my eating impacted or affected anyone else. And unfortunately, it did. And I get to read this paragraph and look at this and dig into how that played out in my life. And I'm just so grateful that today I can laugh uh, at my selfishness and self-centeredness. And um, and it's only because I see it. You know, I see it for what it really is. And with that, I'll pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph before we move on to the next one? So why don't we move on? Julie R., will you please read that next paragraph for us? Hi, this is Julie Reed, a recovered compulsive overeater from California. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of the selfishness. We must, or it will kill us. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Many of us have had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. Um, and when I first looked at this paragraph, um, of course I wanted to look up the words so I'd have them right. And when they said what selfishness meant, concerned excessively or exclusively with oneself, self-will, stubborn or willful, adherence to one's desires or ideas, self-centered, concerned solely with one's desires, needs, or interests. And, um, you know, this was another paragraph that I never really paid attention to when I was just abstinent and not recovered. Um, I was totally living in, in self-will, dishonesty, manipulation, but I was thin, so, you know, I thought I was, you know, I had I had arrived. And it wasn't until I returned back to program and I started listening to A Vision for You and reading my big book and understanding it when I went through the four-step process um, I could hear my sponsor scratching or you know, writing something down, you know, as I would go through it. And she had had me look, um, find words that fit, you know, what I was, my resentments. And when I was done, um, I don't know how many times I had circled selfishness, self-centered, self-will, uh, grandiosity, ego. Um, I could never see that before. Because that's all I was I was living with. I mean, it was me, me, me. How, you know, what was I going to get out of this? Or how could I look good? And um, it's interesting because now that'll still crop up on my my nightly review. Even as a couple of weeks ago, I, I was given some information about my behavior that was totally self. But the difference is I can see it and then I can ask God for help because, you know, I couldn't fix my selfishness or my self-centeredness myself. It was just like the food. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't stay stopped and I couldn't not be selfish because I didn't know it and I didn't know how. Um, and I love that, that last sentence when it talks about 
we have we had to have God's help. Um, I had been living with my self low run riot probably my entire life, you know, first as a um, safety mechanism, and then the second because of my fear of being less than. And, um, you know, now I, I it's kind of exciting when I see it on my review where I act it out because then I know the next day or immediately I could seek God. Um, but, you know, yeah, you know, I'm only, um, I've been recovered since November and um, I really got to see that that is still an underlying part of me. But but the good news is that, you know, God is there and his hands are outstretched and I can give it to God and, you know, work on it. And so I won't get into that situation again because as that other sentence says, above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of the selfishness. We must or it will kill us. And... um you know, I don't want to die anymore from this disease, and I am so grateful to be recovered today and seeing um, where I was and where I am and where I get to be. So thank you. Thank you, okay. Julie R. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Janice. Leah. Janice, and then was that Monica? Yes. Monica and then Leah. Go ahead, Janice. And then Katie. And then Katie, thank you. Go ahead, Janice. Great. Good morning. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. So what what are we looking at here, and what is the big book and these first 100 alcoholics trying trying to really hit home about here? Our selfishness, our self-centeredness. And this was their experience that they're sharing here. This was their experience. Things that they had seen and now are looking back at from the other side. Being recovered. Being recovered. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. It's not in the past that they're talking about this either. It's not that they're referring to what it used to be like, although they certainly are. Because this is, this continues. We are all so human. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. You know, what good information to have. I no longer have to search and try to figure this whole thing out. They're putting it down on paper for me and showing me what they were like, and perhaps I can identify. And it even says that we often don't think so. You know, that we alcoholics usually don't think so. You know, when we're in the disease, when we're in our compulsive overeating, when the disease has us by the throat, and we're managing our way, not very well perhaps, through our lives, We can't always see this, but once the food is down and we are abstinent and these things begin staring us right in the face and we can't be in denial or delusion anymore. And remember, we have promised, we have made a commitment, we have made a decision that we're going to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. So God is on our side now. We're trying to tap into this higher, greater power. 
And in doing so, we're able to look at things we could never look at before. You know, so don't be afraid, it says. Don't be afraid to look at yourself because you're going to see things that you can change. You know, the wisdom to know the difference of what we can change and what we cannot change begins to be revealed to us. And so we work with our fellows and we share. We begin to share these things. We begin to look at them ourselves in ways that we never could. God makes that possible. It says very clearly, God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Without his aid. And if I have made that commitment to turn my life and my will over, I'm tapping into that power. And God's going to make that possible. As disconcerting and as as awful as it is to look at these things, I can't do anything about the things I'm not aware of. And so I want to be aware of these things because I want to get to where they are because they seem to have something that I don't have, a way of dealing with life and looking at life and seeing themselves clearly. And remember, there's so many things I cannot change. Well, three things I cannot change. I cannot change the past. I cannot change the truth and I cannot change you. But I can change me. Let them change me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Monica, go ahead. Monica, can you press star one to unmute, please? Leah, why don't you go ahead and then we'll catch Monica when you're done. Okay, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Hey, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Uh-oh. <laughs> They're being rather blunt here. Um you know, they're letting me know that, uh, you know, the troubles of, are my own making. Um, you know, the bakery boxes and the cellophane bags and the ice cream containers that used to pile up on the passenger seat in my car uh, were only a symbol and a symptom of this underlying problem, this underlying issue. And the underlying issue, the underlying problem is me. You know, uh, I've met the en- enemy. Indeed, I have. The enemy is me. You know, I was self-destructing by my own hand under the guise of seeking ease and comfort. Uh, my own fist. You know, I'm the architect of my own misery. This was something I really needed to uh, to understand and to accept. You know, I kept pointing my finger that it was this person or this situation. You know, when I'm upset, I want the person or situation causing the difficulty to be changed. But the reality is that I had to adjust to situations and people and circumstances. The, The disturbance is me. My life before and even after I stopped compulsive overeating was an extreme example of self-will run riot. That's what the big book is teaching me here, that I am the architect 
of my own misery. I manufacture these problems because I was seeing things only from my own perspective. Only my perspective counted. Only my thoughts were correct. Only my emotions were justified. Only my hurts were legitimate hurts. Only my innocent actions could be uh, could be uh, looked at as innocent actions. I and mean, you know, everybody uh, was out to get me. It was really another way of saying that everything in my life was for me. Everything in this world is to rotate and revolve around me. I wanted the world to go my way. You know, and, and, and that was the, the root of my it problem here. And how did, what were the tools of the disease? The tools of the disease were the self-delusion and the self-seeking and the self-pity. Those were the tools that I used to be a victim. Why did I want to be a victim? Because victimhood was power. You know, if, if my father did this to me, and if my mother did this to me, and I was living my life this way because my brother did this to me, then I was a victim, and that was powerful because then I did not have to take responsibility for the way I acted and the way I behaved and the way I thought and the way I spoke because I'm a victim. You know, and everybody's rotating around me. And that self-centeredness, it says they arise out of themselves, out of ourselves, and the alcoholic is an extreme example, a self-will run riot that we usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. Why do I have to be rid of this selfishness? Why is the big book stressing that at this point? Well, because this self-centeredness had contributed to my failure at life. You know, this self-centered thinking had, had given me emotional twists, which had discolored my personality and altered my life for the worse. I could not, with this self-centeredness, um, have the ability to form true partnerships with God, with myself, and with others, because my whole universe centered around me and what I expected out of life. And that's the way I viewed life, through those lenses. And that self-centeredness was a poison to my system, and it was frustrating to myself and to other people. And there was no way with this kind of discomfort going on that I was going to be able to refrain from picking up that first bite because I needed ease and comfort. When you're living in constant disturbance, you can only do that for so long. It's like holding your breath underwater. At some point, you're going to pick up. And so what is the root? The root's not, not the uh, substances in those bags and boxes. The root is me. I have met the enemy, and the enemy is me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Monica, are you available? Thank you, Christy. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I'm now a re recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in Chapter 3, How It Works. And, and how it works, it's going to enable me to find me and to find a power that's greater than me. So we've, we're coming here, and boy, and they're really hammering us home here what our issue is here, our selfishness, our self-centeredness. They're really trying to bring us out. A lot of warning here for us. And when I was reading this with my sponsor for the first time, and now I haven't made step three here. That's the next page. And it says, they're telling me that these are our troubles and uh, that I, and this is what I'm full of, though he usually doesn't think so. 
Well, at this point, it was like, I wasn't too sure about all this stuff you're telling me. You know, this is pretty heavy stuff, I'm thinking. And uh, I'm not too sure I agree. But what was bringing me here was pain. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And these people are telling me, they um, went through this process, and they're going to tell me how I can get feeling better. And... So, uh, okay, all right, I'm not too sure about all of this, but above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. You know? Yes. This disease wants me dead, and this disease was taking me down that path very quickly. I was going to die, physically, mentally, spiritually, from this disease. And I was sick and tired of being where I was, and I wanted something different. God makes that possible. Now, I didn't understand any of this when I was at this pace, place in my process. But looking back, working through these steps, which enabled me to find God, I can look back at this and say, yes, it's God, it's God, it's God. God makes it possible. Because I sure couldn't. Nothing I did worked. We have to have God's help. And that's true. So don't be scared here if you're, um, you know, you're getting close to doing the step three. Step three is a decision to continue on with the process. And pain brought me here, and I didn't want it any longer. And in working the steps, and the fourth step, your inventory is going to show this all to you. God is going to show you your selfishness, your self-centeredness. And you will learn that, you know, you have a choice. You can do something different, and God makes this possible. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Katie, go ahead. Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, well, these two paragraphs we've read this morning are just, you know, as someone else said, their book is worn out from, from turning to these pages because, you know, I'd love to say that this is in the past, you know, back when I did my uh, third and fourth step, you know, 25 years ago, and, you know, well, thank you very much. I'm done with that now, but, you know, I have to look at this every day. Uh, our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. How can that be? I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that I am a victim, that it's because of what you did, because of what you said, because of what you want from me that I don't want to do, and it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And that kind of thinking is what has to be smashed. And it has to be smashed on a daily basis because I have not woken up, um, you know, when everything's going my way, yes, you know, I'm happy, I'm glib, I just had a baby, I just, you know, I uh, just went on vacation, I just bought a new car, I just got a new outfit. But on the daily, you know, it's Monday. It's Monday for everyone on this phone line and that's not my favorite day right now. So I have to suit up and show up to life. And the only way I can do that is with God's help. Because if I sit in a place of thinking, poor me, poor me, poor me some, uh, you know, mocha cappuccino with a whipped cream on top, then, you know, I'm just going to be back to where I was in that place of restless, irritable, and discontent. But when I look at how um, God has changed me, that he's gotten me through hundreds and hundreds of Mondays, 
and hundreds of other much worse circumstances that I'm in today that make me, you know, rather, I would rather call in sick and go to work, you know, I can put a smile on my face. I can pull, you know, not pull myself up by, but by my bootstraps because I can't do that. It is God who changes my attitude when I stop looking at how the world has wronged me and I start looking at myself, I can move on. And it's the same way if you are at the first time going through these steps. You know, it's not something that we do so perfectly that we understand it so well that we never ever have a bad thought again. This is a daily reprieve based upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And that's what it's saying here, that we have to have God's help. God makes that possible. Um, We have to be rid of selfishness. And when I get out of myself, um, I'm able to, to work through the difficulties in my life at the pace that they need to be worked through. You know, I wanted everything to be fixed right now. And when I couldn't have everything fixed right now, I ate so that I wouldn't have to think about it anymore. And I numbed that pain and I walked around in a fog for decades because I didn't want to uh, face my life. And I thought it was so awful. Well, today, I don't choose to do that. I get up every day. I get on my knees. I ask God to direct me. And I do the next right thing. And I stop that uh, mantra in my head that is pointing at all the things that could go wrong and all those things. And I, you know, listen to all you people every morning who give me such, you know, strength and courage and wisdom. And I'm just so grateful that I don't have to go back to that horrible existence. Um, And I can accept today that it doesn't mean that my life is perfect. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. And we've got time uh, for one more share. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Amy. Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater recovered from Maryland. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. And again, we must or it kills us. I mean, they're not messing around. The authors here is that this is something that absolutely positively we have to deal with. And, you know, whether we come to this paragraph believing and understanding about this selfishness or self-centeredness or not, the reality is if we don't look, if I don't look at this on a continual basis, as Katie was mentioning, but of course at the very beginning, if I'm not willing to look at this, Remember, in step three, we try to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, that we're understanding that there is way more to this disease than meets our mouth. And all the characters, behaviors, thoughts, and actions that go along with it, key of which, the root of which they have mentioned, fear and selfishness and self-centeredness. And that if we don't, that we will be back out there. And, you know, the saying in the program is the same person will drink or the same person will eat again. And how do they call our recovery? You know, personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. Well, that personality change is trying to move from a self-centered life to a God-centered life. And yes, that is a lifelong process that I will be on that journey to the day I die. But the reality is if we don't move towards that process and find a methodology from changing, that we will continue. I would continue to remain selfish and self-centered if I wasn't willing to look. 
if I wasn't willing to say, you know what, this comes from me. My greatest enemy was me. You know, when I get up in my head, I'm in enemy territory, territory, as they say in the program. You know, when these guys went out and started sharing their stories and, and trying to talk to other people about recovery from compulsive, I mean, from alcoholism, why did they say in the chapter, you know, um, working with others, that nothing ensures immunity, but working with another alcoholic, immunity from another drink? It's because they realize that when they work with someone else, when they share their story, they get out of themselves. They, they get out of that selfishness and self-centeredness. And that's key to us in learning how to live lives without constantly thinking about ourselves and what best serves us and what we want, have, must have, need, or whatever. You know, we start looking outside of ourselves to be of service to the world around us and just, instead of seeing what the world can get, get us. And this is the beginning. This is the beginning where they say, you know, we separate the men from the boys. Well, we have to look at ourselves and be willing, fearlessly, you know, to search fearlessly. And this is the start. But we must or it kills us. It's the start. This is, you know, step three to the decision to step forward. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Let me share. Thank you, Amy. And thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy B., will you please read a vision for you? Good morning, this is Judy B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.